0: Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. Okay, so before we dive into this podcast episode, I have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is where did June go? So if you were wondering where all of the podcast episodes were for June, um, it was a crazy month of end of school. Uh, shenanigans. Um, My daughter was in kindergarten this year and I didn't realize until now how much actually goes into the end of the school year. So between all of those things... um, keeping my life together and attending all the things and then shifting from end of school into summer routine. It's just, I don't know what happened to June. And now we're at July, mid-July. So that's the elephant in the room. I apologize for missing our June podcast. So for July, you're actually going to get two new episodes um, to make up for the one that was missed in June. So Today's podcast is all about um, Garvey Pike. And Garvey is somebody who I've known for many years. I met him through Online Learning Consortium's Institute for Emerging Leaders in Online Learning. And yes, that is a mouthful to say. Um, but it was an experience that opened up so many doors for me and my you know, networking with Garvey and knowing Garvey actually got my position that I have today at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. So I am super excited to have him on. It was amazing to be able to talk to him in this capacity rather than like as my executive director. And I think one really strong lesson that came from this is don't be afraid to have random one-off conversations with your supervisors because there are so much you, you can learn that's outside of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So let's dive in. All right. Um, so Garvey, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. So the first question that I always start out with is that age-old interview question of tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Great. So it's great to be here, Blair, and I love your podcast, so I'm excited to be here today. Um, my name is Garvey Pike. Uh, I've been married for 25 years. I have a 20-year-old daughter who's a grad school here at UNC Charlotte. Um, we travel a lot overseas as a family to help out with the global refugee crisis, uh, and I've been at UNC Charlotte now in my 20th year, uh, and I'm currently the executive director of the Center for Teaching and Learning in our School of Professional Studies.
0: Awesome. And my executive director. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your academic and scholarly background.
1: Okay. Well, I did my undergrad at Tulane University in New Orleans, which I absolutely loved. Uh, the opportunity to live in a great American city uh, like New Orleans. Uh, it has its own culture Uh, music, food, and everything, and and Tulane was a great place, made a lot of great connections there, and I studied English, and uh, after Tulane, I wanted to be an English teacher, so I uh, went and I taught high school English in Southern California for four years, and that's actually where I met my wife, and um, I started a, or actually, I I did a master's program in ed leadership at Pepperdine University while I was there, and uh, loved it. And I loved being back in school. And it was a whole, you know, being in grad school is a totally different vibe than being an undergrad. I was older and more mature. And I really enjoyed the learning as opposed to sort of getting through it. And um, so I did. And one of the books that we read uh, at Pepperdine, I should actually like, should know what the book is, but it was published by something called like the Center for Educational Excellence at Indiana University. And I'm like, huh, what's that? And, and this was like 1997 and I looked it up and, uh, or 96, I guess. And I looked it up and, um, kind of saw that they had, uh, something called instructional systems technology program. And that's what the people, it was a, like teaching and technology sort of a book. And so I got kind of fascinated with that and the idea of going to, uh, back to school and get a doctorate. And I remember at first, cause I really enjoyed like philosophy of education. And at first, um, I talked to my advisor, Pepperdine, about this. I said, I'd love to go back to grad school full time, maybe study philosophy education. And he said, that's great. I love that you're interested in it. But he's like, you know, how many educational philosophers are there? Like, does the world need kind of thing? And it was kind of funny. And with all due respect to the educational philosophers listening, um, you know, he he made a good point. So I, you know, that's where I kind of discovered instructional systems technology. So I went to Indiana uh, and started my program there in 1998. And, uh, made a lot of great connections. I could talk a lot about, um, you know, my experience in, uh, at IU, but um, it's such an amazing program with such amazing people, and I have lifelong connections from there that I still talk to uh, every day. In fact, a couple of the people that were in my sort of rookie class in the IST program uh, worked for a time in the Center for Teaching and Learning, um, and I still have connections at Arizona State and elsewhere, uh, and people, uh, even you uh, probably know Brian Beatty, um, he's at San Francisco State, Mr. Hyflex, or Dr. Hyflex, I should call him. Uh, he and I say we're in the same program at the same time. We're good friends. Uh, I know people kind of all over. Um, so that Indiana um, experience was uh, transformative and, and amazing. In fact, my dissertation advisor is now the mm-hmm. chancellor of the University of Kansas or provost mm-hmm. or something. I should know. But it's like, yeah, good for her.
0: That's amazing. And it's interesting, too, how it feels like, the online learning and instructional and design field is so big, but it's not like I feel like once you know one person, then they know all. Like there's networking within the field is so interesting because everybody knows somebody.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, Russ Poolin had a great comment about that. Um, when we were in IELL a couple years ago together, and he said like, our, our, yeah," he said the exact same thing. Like, our field is surprisingly small. And to me, it's like, yeah, it's, it's almost knowable. You know, there's a few thousand of us, maybe two, three thousand that kind of do what we do. And so like your degrees of separation uh, from anybody are, are pretty uh, small. And then there's some like people that, that are from our field that get really highly placed. Like my advisor, I talked about like, and and knowing what we know about instructional design and what we're able to uh, do and achieve and accomplish in the way that we approach things. It's like, yeah, it makes perfect sense that that person would be a provost, or chancellor or anything else. It's like, And that's that's a little bit of like the instructional designers like dilemma, I think is that um, you can almost look at anything and be like, yeah, you can do that. (laughs) It's like, I can figure this out because you've been, we've been trained to sort of approach things in a way where we wanna break things down and figure them out. And it's just like, and so things are are an analytical mind that we've been trained through this field uh, allows us to get insights into something uh, and, and it feels uh, less intimidating and more knowable, like pretty quickly.
0: Agreed. It's like the 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 pros and cons of it, right? Like, it's awesome. We're such good problem solvers. But then we want to solve everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yep. Um, which my wife tells me, yeah, like, you don't have to, you're not at work. <laughs> like, you don't have to apply that lens here. Like, okay. I yes. Get I get the same
0: thing in our house. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned being an English teacher, high school English teacher, and you know, in your position now with the executive director. So what did you do in between that?
1: Well, I was a high school English teacher, and then I was, you know, full time uh, grad student, and then I came here actually in two thousand three. So although while I was in Indiana, I had a couple of experience work experiences there that I loved. Uh, One of them was that I actually taught an online class. In 1998, um, and it was part of uh, a like early or pre-service teaching, like uh, first uh, student teachers, right? That they were. So I was a student teachers supervisor, and I would go out and observe students in the schools. And then we had like a, a one credit companion course that was about like the reflective piece with prompts and this and that. So it was largely discussion based. This is. 1998, we used Alta Vista forum. So, you know, I, I'd kind of forgotten that I had done this because I'm, I'm pretty much like I look to the now and like push forward a lot. And that's just kind of my philosophy here where I am today. And um, but I heard someone else refer to themselves as like, oh, I'm a pioneer in online learning or whatever. They were talking about themselves. I was like, huh. Cause, and then they mentioned like the year that they've been doing something since. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I guess I have been, too. So I had to like reframe how I thought this. And then, I, then that's what made me remember that I actually taught my first online course in 1998.
0: Wow. That's awesome. How was that experience?
1: It was great. Um, it was super interesting. And uh, you know, I, I took some online classes after that. So I actually taught an online class before I ever took one. So that was kind of interesting, but uh, yeah, students were pretty engaged and, you know, discussion forums were new and uh you know? And so I think there was some novelty effect, but, you know, students really um, put a lot into it and, and, you know, it was all reflective prompts about how their student teaching was going. And since they were all, you know, placed in the field, they had a lot to share. So that, that was good. It was very rich.
0: Absolutely. Um, So how do you use some of those skills as, you know, you were, you taught online, the high school English teacher, how do you use that in your, um, current field and what you currently do
1: it was interesting I thought about that a lot and I you know I look back on the four years that I taught English high school English and it's and I was looking at the numbers so I you know in those four years I taught something like 3600 classes and you know class periods and then there were like three to four lessons per class so I probably taught like 10,000 lessons and um you know, what compounded it. So that was like the first thing I thought of. The second thing was there's like, there was no curriculum. There wasn't. And I know this is crazy, but there really wasn't. And I kind of went into the, you know, my first week on the job, like before students came and I was like, is there a curriculum? that I'm like, no, you know, do whatever you want. (laughs) Like it's vaguely this, like American English or whatever. Maybe they had a textbook, but I didn't have to use it. So I, you know, I had to be creative from necessity, but also like to keep myself and my students interested. So that's why I had like, really a lot of different things that i was trying and doing in the classroom and i held like super super high expectations like crazy high because i was like i just come out of my tulane you know undergrad english experience so i was giving them prompts like um you know to fresh or to sophomore english high school sophomore is in english i'd have them read like you know um what was it oh the hunger artist by franz kafka and then I was like, my prompt was, and now remember, these are high school sophomores. Is like, what is Kafka saying about the, the true nature of art in this? Like that was my prompt, right? So like, that was the kind of stuff that I was, so I was kind of legendary, you know, and maybe infamous, you know, as well uh, with my students for the kinds of work that I believe they could do. And then, I'm, you know, kind of scaffold them up into that. Anyway, that's kind of about that. But I, I think back on that um, and- like having taught that many classes, that's almost like a performative pressure cooker. You know, it's like, you gotta be on all the time. And so you get really good at it, you know, and you can get really good at teaching if you want it, you know, is because you're just doing so much of it. Um, And then I think what I've carried through to this day. So like um, that has made me super comfortable, like um, leading like sessions, facilitating, uh, speaking in front of people. Um, public speaking, all that stuff, is, it's helped it's certainly with that. Um, uh, also writing, um, you know, I, being an English major and like having, you know, to be able to convey information. So I got, you know, really good at my communication skills and, and writing has definitely carried me through. That's a, a skill that's in short supply. So being able to write reports and uh, easily understood uh, and digestible um, chunks of information for different stakeholders is, is been a valuable skill. Um, but I think just that, like, if we think of teaching as an act of leadership, which it really is, right. Cause you're all, you're like leading a group of people to new understandings of something and skills and everything else. And so it, it was very much like leadership training, um, you know, and, and doing,
0: I agree. I think a lot of teachers, because they're, um, you know, overseeing maybe like kindergartners or, you know young age, they don't realize how big of a leader they are because they're getting these little tiny humans to do, motivate them and for one thing, but then also like teaching them and having them, um, you know, inspire themselves and, and get motivated to do all of those things. And I think a lot of teachers don't even realize the leadership skills that they have um, that could then potentially with, you know, for their careers.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's absolutely like a leadership role.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Um, so what is your greatest success so far in the field?
1: You know, I was a little scared of this question when you sent me the questions ahead of time, because, um, and I don't want like anyone to think I have all this like false humility or anything. But honestly, I think my greatest success um is the team that we have right now. Like this awesome team that we have right now, CTL 6.0 is by far like the greatest thing I've ever been part of. And you know I, I i can say we've had a lot of successes over the years a lot of great projects um but like I, I kind of alluded to earlier like i don't look back that much i sort of really live right here right now and um so sometimes people remind me of something that we did and i'm like we did and i was like i don't remember that or i will remember and i was like oh yeah that was a good thing and then you know i'm ready to like because i i think i very much want to like consume and learn something, whether it like worked or failed even. And like, how can we use that for the next thing that we do?
0: I agree. This team is awesome. Um, I love just the amount of things of pushing forward, the innovativeness, all of that is, um, it's a very cool thing to watch and, and witness and be part of. And I'm the same way. I don't look back very often either. So when people like will say, Oh, do you remember when you did this? I'm like, no, but I guess that is a really big thing.
1: <laughs> I've I've even like read old papers of mine where like my my name was not or something. I was like, this is really good. Who wrote this? I'm like, it gets to the last page and it's me. Like, I don't remember doing this, and I was like, huh, I, I was pretty good back then or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of funny. It it's is. I think it's a skill actually, or like it's a valuable thing to be able to let things go, like good or bad, honestly.
0: I agree. You don't get stuck in the monotonous of failure, but then also, you know, being able to kind of continue excelling, continue learning, continue applying all of that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um. So what has been your greatest challenge in the field?
1: Oh, I, <clears throat> I think one of the bigger challenges that, um, I face and we all face and continue to face, and it actually plays out in like every ID context, is um, sort of that tension that we have when working with SMEs and other stakeholders, right? Is that, um, I mean, simply put like, and this probably sounds terrible, hopefully only IDs are listening, but like, like we know we're right, you know what I mean? Like we know we're right, like this is just, this is the right way, we should proceed this way, you know, and um, just like the the pushback that we get sometimes and like the and what I mean is like actually the whole um, continuum of types of pushback, like not believing you or like not respecting you or like, yeah, you're right, but I don't want to do it. You know, that kind of stuff like and so like even at the, the level that I'm, quote, I'm doing some air quotes, the level that I operate at today, which is different than what I was doing five years ago, and different than five years before that and so on um that like all those things are still true so like that so like when you are working with an SME and building a course and you're getting like that tension like I I'm, had I'm that this week with like other stakeholders on a bigger different project um that we just initiated too so it's like um I should say big I did not mean bigger but I just that like that thing <laughs> that plays out in every, doing all these gestures which don't actually come over in audio but like that thing happens in every context of in which we work and i thought of a funny analogy because you know i love my analogies it's like um like when you go to the dentist and they tell you like oh you should bl- like floss more or brush more or whatever you're like sheepishly like yeah you're right and then like you don't do it that's different than like no Rinsing with Kool-Aid is better. Like, no, it's not. Like, But, like, that's the difference between, like, you know, like, you respect the dentist's, you know, expertise. And like, you know that whatever the dentist is telling you is correct. Whether or not you do it, like, is a choice that you make that's on you. But, like, you don't disbelieve the dentist. Like, brushing is not better. Like, whatever I'm doing is better. Like, you know, And so that's kind of a weird analogy, but. I
0: know you get. Uh, it. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I I get. Yes, and it is that is an interesting analogy because I think sometimes as IDs, um, there's still a stigma of we're kind of support, right? We're we're, I guess you could say, um, the like the I can't, instructional technologists sometimes are more supportive of like technology and that kind of stuff versus the instructional designer is kind of. I would say almost at like an equal level as the SME. And I think sometimes we aren't seen as that we're kind of seen more as you're just going to put my course up. Thanks. Moving on kind of thing. And I wonder if that's kind of where some of those tensions come from.
1: That's interesting. Right. Cause I, I always try to think of like, what is this like in other fields or, you know, how does this work? And, and when you think I, I sometimes think of medical and I know what we're doing isn't medical or I think of like, you know, science or technology type stuff. And it's like, in certain um, instances, there's a person, regardless of their role, who has like the ability to say, stop, right? That there's something happening here. And like, I feel like we should sometimes have that ability, you know? Or like, that should be the like the role, respect that we have for one another. So for example, like if you were in surgery and um, the anesthet- anesthetologist, is that how you say that? Um, You know, the anesthesia person, if there's something going on with anesthesia, that person can tell the surgeon, we got to stop. Like everybody in here, stop. It's not like, well, the surgeon, like, oh, I'm the most fancy person in the room and we're just going to do what I do. Or the same thing with like a safety coordinator um, in manufacturing or like, you know, space flight or whatever. There's somebody who's like, I can tell the head of whomever that we need to shut this down right now. And that's like the culture that you've built where no safety is paramount. Blah, blah, blah. So like, if we knew like somehow that the, you know, the success of the project were paramount, that it, at any time, anyone could like call a timeout, you know, that we like revisit, like that would be a great culture to, to have.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Now you got your next, uh, plan for the next few years <laughs> <laughs> working on that culture. No. <laughs> um, I, I think some of that too lends itself to, um, Cause for me personally, the greatest challenge is always seeing the potential of a course and then having it not be able to meet that just because of time or, you know, the SME neck, you know, meeting deadlines, that kind of thing. And I think that that also goes along with that, of being able to balance that and that tension. And I think it goes back to instructional designers are just so flexible and so able to change how they work with every single person, every single project. and um really just to get the project and the course out there and done
1: yeah it's no small thing to like remind ourselves over and over again that it is relational work
0: oh yeah I call myself part therapist as an id (laughs) (laughs) for sure um so what do you wish you knew before like be coming into the field
1: I don't know, like, I think maybe an easy answer would be like, I wish I knew how awesome it was and then I would have like gotten to it faster, you know, Um, that kind of thing. But I I, I don't think there's been, except for the things kind of we've already discussed, I don't think there's been like a lot of surprises that I wish I had known beforehand. Um, And, uh, you know, it's interesting because we are part of like a rich tradition and it does go back a long time. In fact, I'm super fascinated with like some of the older things Like the early foundations of our field and you know sometimes uh, going back to in fact I was just rereading like I don't know like the didactics by Comenius or something where um, he was talking about like you know universal education and stuff like this is you know what was Comenius like 1600 you know and it's like and and kind of the stuff it's like early instructional design stuff too because he's talking about like you know that like learning should be sequenced and stuff. So like there's things that we've known for a long time. And so for me, like, you know, I, I love kind of finding the, those touchstones of like the history of our field and sort of like how they play out today. Like even the stuff we're doing with adaptive learning, like it was like Thorndike was talking about that in like 1912. You know, like what by you know mechanical ingenuity. You know, you couldn't turn the page of a book until like you learned something on this first page, and you know, it's like it's totally amazing, right? It's like branching and, and all that. And it's like and now we finally have the technology to catch up to this stuff. What's funny is like non-IDs think like all this stuff is brand new. It's like nothing is new. Like none of this stuff is new. In fact, my my friend Barb Pickelmaier, who's the provost of Kansas, um, she was saying something, uh. She she did a talk for Penn State uh, a while ago. And I I love how she said it. She's like, you know, frequently in our field, there'll be somebody outside of our field who's like discovered something that we've known for 40 years. They'll give it a new name. And all of a sudden, like, that's the thing, like backwards design or whatever. Like, not backwards design, it's forwards design. (laughs) Like, you know, any of these things that we like that become popular, you know, it's like active learning. Like, we've known about, you know, collaborative learning and everything, you know, for like, since 1972 like just because you've discovered it doesn't mean it's new but anyway i don't know how that was related to the question you asked me but that's (laughs) what that's what you get when you talk with me
0: no i agree and i think that's the thing about education like there's so many buzzwords but they all mean the same thing like even when i was doing my dissertation trying to figure out a theory. And like choosing between sociocultural and socio it's social um constructivism. I'm like, they're the same thing. Like there's like one tiny difference between the two. And it it definitely makes things frustrating. Uh whenever you see, like you said, somebody outside of the field coming in and saying, Look at this really cool technology, new thing. And it's like, we've been doing that for 10 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. But we, you know, we're like, Great, we're glad you're, you know, you're late to the party, but we're happy you're here. And if this is what we're calling it now, that's fine.
0: Yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, so what would be your best piece of advice for somebody who wanted to come into the field or who is trying to be an instructional designer?
1: Well, um, and actually, you posted about this on LinkedIn the other day, and I can't remember if I wrote like I had some thoughts about this before you said that or not. But like, the big thing, honestly, is think beyond tools, uh, and think beyond projects then like relationships matter. Like, that's really what it is. It's, it's very, very much, um, relational work that we do. Um, that's really what it, all, you know, all of it is, um, and learning to, uh, you know, be patient and give grace to people as they sort of slowly come to, to understand what it is that we're trying to do with them, or maybe they never do. And we just have to give them that extra space. Right. And we have to sort of solve around that or work around it or work with it, you know, into where as far as they're gonna go and take that as like a victory. Um, and but to preserve the relationship. So it's really to think beyond tools. Cause if I was, you know, if I was all hung up on tools, like what would I be doing? Hyper card and hyperstacks, like there's probably like six people in the world that even know that joke. But like that's the kind of stuff we were doing when we are doing like development work in, you know, in Indiana 25 years ago. The tools constantly change, Um, but think, like, what are those, you know, uh, long-held principles that, so that's what I would tell people is, like, think beyond that. And I know, like, there's a lot of people that need those skills to get that job right now because there's a lot of, like, developer jobs. But, you know, if you want to make a career of this, like, think bigger and think of, like, the relational piece. Because, you know, honestly, like, long after all the tools have changed or long after, like, even the projects are gone, like... The relationship is the one thing that remains right we may have a relate, you may have a relationship with someone i may have a relationship with someone for 20 years you know uh through different projects and if um the relationship was good you know that i might not see that person for two three seven years and they're like hey remember that time we worked on it? that was fun let's you know i got this other idea and it's like yeah let's go right so it's like that relationship matters for especially at a, at a university right it's because a lot of us do tend to stay for a little bit and so like you know and we help people and we see people through different stages of their career just as we ourselves have like lived through different stages of our career
0: yeah absolutely and it just goes back to that whole it's such a small world everybody at some point knows each other and how important that networking is
1: for sure yeah
0: um, so you mentioned a couple of things of what you've been reading, but um, I'm always looking for new ideas of how to stay current and then also learn new things. So what are you currently reading?
1: Oh, I'm glad you didn't ask like what books I'm reading because I was a little scared because I've listened to your podcast, of course, and you always ask people like what books they're reading. And like, I, I don't want to say I'm embarrassed to say because I'm, I'm not really, maybe I'm not easily embarrassed. That doesn't mean I'm shameless, but um and it may come across as crazy talk, but I don't read many books anymore. Cause that's like a very specific kind of writing. And I was thinking about that. I was like, what kind of symphonies have you listened to? I was like, well, I listen to songs. I haven't listened to like, it's just a different format. So that said, like, you know, what do I read? I, you know, I feel like I consume information and ideas all day long, articles, thoughts, conversations whatever it might be, and sort of incorporate those quickly and sort of and then quickly let them go. I try to attribute and give credit where credit's due as much as possible. Um, But a couple of things that I have really enjoyed over the last like few months. um, One thing I do read for sure every week is, uh, is it's called Farnham Street and it's like a weekly email and it's, uh, it was Shane Parrish on, I think on LinkedIn, Farnham Street. It's like a, a quick hits. He does some interviews with people and he has some like, you know, wisdom from, from different people. And it really applies. He is an instructional designer as far as I know, but I think he'd be amazing as like a speaker for you know, like an OLC conference or something, but um, it's all stuff that like, we're thinking about in terms of, you know, how do, how are we like leaderly and more effective at what we do? Um, and the stuff is great. So an example is, you know, he he's talking recently about like, like when we look at a success, we tend to think like, oh, they must've done like one big thing, right? And it's like, no, you did like 800 small things, right. To get to that big success. Right. So it's like consistency matters, not like these big, you know swings for the fences that we take so that kind of stuff it's like yeah this is this is really great stuff so Farm streets one i've been reading uh, a lot um the other thing you know i mentioned the which just kind of funny but i should say i've been rereading some of these ISD classics so i was going through some old files and some and stuff of mine cuz i was trying to clean up my office a little bit and i i um and somebody uh, one of our uh, new team members asked like what are some things i could read to kind of like get get going, you know, um, with what we're doing. And so I picked up, um, again, Rogers, diffusions of innovations, um, amazing book. So, so good. And I forgot, I I forgotten how good it is. Right. And I feel like, you know, I just incorporated the ideas of for a lot of these things, you know, into my career over the last 25 years, but, um, but that's a really, really good one. You know, like how do, how does innovation like diffuse through an organization, what hinders that, what helps it and all that. So, um, if you haven't read that one or you haven't, you know, looked at it in a while, like it's it's a definite, you know, good one to revisit and you don't have to read the whole thing. Like read chapters, you know, one, five, 10 and 11 or something. You know, it's like it's one of those kinds of books where it's like chunked up really well. So um, you don't necessarily have to read the whole thing.
0: I love how um, you were cleaning out your office and then ended up stopping and reading a bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the story of my life.
1: And then you end up not throwing it away, you know, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, thank you Garvey so much for being on the podcast. Um, is there anything last minute thoughts or anything like that you'd like to add?
1: No, just thanks for having me. And this was super fun to get to talk to you uh, in this way. Yeah. Awesome.
0: I think the greatest takeaway that I've learned from working with Garvey and just learning from him is the power of networking And the reason I say that is because if you have ever attended an online learning consortium conference, Garvey knows everybody. Um, We even, our team and I tried to create a hashtag of we know Garvey um, the last time we attended Accelerate, which was last fall. And whenever he is walking down a hallway or walking around at a conference, somebody's always stopping to talk to him. And I think that This is so powerful because he not only uses this to learn from others and see what other people are doing and apply that to his own day to day work, but he also uses it as a way to give back to the field of online learning and teaching and learning and all of the things that have to do with that field. So I think that that is really powerful and it allows us to continue having conversations to allow our field to get bigger and better. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode learning all about Garvey Pike. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.